Amen. You may be seated. One of the most important things that we can do as a congregation together is to lift one another up in prayer, to bear one another's burdens. And so let us go before the Lord this morning and do just that. Gracious God, we are so grateful that we can come to you and receive grace upon grace. God, that we can come to you um, as a child going to their parents with their requests, whether they be big or small, whether they are exciting or mundane. God, you care about all of them and you care about us. And so we lift up those in need of prayer this morning. We lift up uh, those in our community, those in our families, those who we name to you now. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 Lord, in your mercy, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 God, we lift up those things that are near and dear to our hearts that we sometimes don't even have the words to speak about. God, you know those unspoken prayer requests. You know where we hurt. You know where relationships are broken. You know where this world needs healing. And so we lift up each of those situations that was named and those that were not, God. We pray that you would bring peace that surpasses all understanding, that you would bring healing, that you would bring wholeness and wellness. God, we pray each of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave us these words to pray so long ago when we were without words, when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite our children forward for a children's moment time. Good morning. I like your cool new ink, Jay. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Hi, guys. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Good. I was uh, eavesdropping on Sunday school today, and you guys had some really, really amazing answers. And I am super duper proud of all of the growth that we have seen in our children's ministry. If you have never had a chance to volunteer with kids, I highly, highly recommend it because these guys are amazing. Um, but I have a question for you guys. So y'all know I have a daughter, Susanna, right? She loves hanging out with you guys. 
So she is almost two, and so she, uh, yesterday, we were outside and we were playing, and she didn't want to come inside, and so she threw a very big temper tantrum. Have you ever seen a temper tantrum before? I mean, she was crying and complaining and and kicking and didn't want to mind, didn't want to listen. It was terrible, right? She doesn't do this often, but when she does, she's got a temper. And so the way that I responded to it, do you think, you know, she's my daughter and I love her. Do you think that I said, okay, well, never mind. You're out of the family. I don't love you anymore. Bye. See ya. No, what do you, what, <laughs> no, what, what do you think I did instead? What, something I could have done instead? You could have took, in, took her inside. Yeah, took her inside, given her a hug anyways, yeah. helped her feel better. And probably give her a sleep and then she can feel better. Afterwards. Yeah, have a nap and then she'd feel better afterwards. That's the truth. I know I feel better after I have a nap too. Well, so I have a question for you. So if that's how I responded, and I'm just an earthly mom, how do you think God responds when we mess up? If God is our heavenly father, and sometimes we mess up, or we throw a temper tantrum, or we don't get things just right, do you think God says, okay, well, never mind, I don't love you anymore, you're not part of the family anymore? No. No. What does God do? He still loves us. He still loves us. Absolutely. He still loves us. He forgives us. Yeah. No matter what you do, he still loves you. Absolutely. There's nothing that we can do that God's love won't cover. Right. And when we talk about that, we talk about God's grace for us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in our message today is how God loves us no matter what, no matter how big we mess up. God will always, always be there to love us and to forgive us. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, will you guys pray with me before we head off to church? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us. No matter what we do or how big we mess up, thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's head to Children's Church. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. I'm Charles Anderson. I'm your district superintendent. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. Um, I was watching Jimmy Calvert's Facebook post this week when he announced that he was on the cruise and the baby was coming. And so I wrote on his timeline, you have impeccable timing. And then I lost my voice and said to myself, I have impeccable timing. But it's a blessing to be here with you again. You may remember this is the very first church I worshiped with when I came to the district. So it's always a joy to be with you and be back and an honor uh, to, to preach for you this morning. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, and then verses 17 through 20. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Hear now in the words of Acts, the word of God's relentless grace for you. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for
for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you, who, what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Well, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The outline I got said that that was supposed to be a sermon bumper. The sermon's not on, D, on, on DS, all right? Just, <laughs> that's more of an explanation than you needed. <laughs> and uh, it's a joy to be, once again, a joy to be with you. Let's pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And if in the words of this one, when we hear not the voice of God, then please speak to each and every one of us in the quietness of our own hearts. Amen. So he was talking to a group of junior highs about what's unique regarding the Christian faith, what makes us distinctively Christian. And he was trying to explain grace. He's trying to explain what grace is. So he asked the group if any of them could tell him what they thought the difference was between grace and mercy and justice. One kid raised his hand and said, well, I think it's like this. If a cop stops you for speeding and gives you a ticket, that's justice. If a cop stops you for speeding and gives you a warning, that's mercy. But if a cop stops you for speeding and gives you a Krispy Kreme donut, that's grace. <laughs> Well, that's kind of unusual, but not necessarily a bad understanding. For instance, 
how do you understand grace? I mean, how, how do you understand the largest, the single largest word in the Christian vocabulary? You have all the religions in the world. It's only Christianity that talks about grace. It's only, grace is only a part of the Christian. You won't find it anywhere else in the world. It is the one, the one indispensable element in a Jesus-based faith. So how, how do you wrap your minds and hearts and your lives around, around grace? You know, I was reading some, some research recently that said among church members, among American church members, uh, what's their, they were asked to name their favorite Christian song or hymn. And their favorite Christian song and hymn were, the, by far number one, was what? Amazing Grace. Which, by the way, I didn't know this till just a couple weeks ago. The song Amazing Grace was written and sung for the first time on New Year's Day, 250 years ago this year. It is exactly 250 years old. Okay, that's a pretty easy answer. But then the research said they went out to those in American culture who were not practicing the Christian faith, who would self-identify as unbeliever or not engaged, not involved. And they asked them, what's your favorite Christian song or hymn? And their answer was, Amazing Grace. Because grace is just that big. So it's important to ask, just what is grace? What's so amazing about it? Now, you know as well as I do that in the Bible, no one, no one talks about grace as much as the Apostle Paul. Paul, who's called Saul in our text this morning, Paul writes so much about it that he's often referred to as the Apostle of Grace. And I want to suggest to you this morning that as Christians, as people of the way, if we really want to understand grace, then we have to go back to the beginning of Paul's story. So let me remind you of the text I read earlier. The text takes place around 36 A.D. The story of the text, about 36 A.D., about three years after the Holy Spirit has created the church in Jerusalem. And that church is flourishing though there is now beginning to be some opposition against it. And then you remember a young leader named Stephen is murdered. He's killed as the first Christian martyr ever, and that murder ignites this persecution, horrific persecution in Jerusalem, that is led by a young Pharisee named Saul. Saul's leading it. In fact, in fact, Acts chapter 8, if you go back just one chapter from our text, Acts chapter 8 says Saul even went from house to house in Jerusalem trying to ferret out and arrest believers. It is such a horrific persecution, such a terrorist event, that believers start leaving, disciples start leaving Jerusalem, some of them fleeing as far as 130 miles north to Damascus. So, in our text, Saul is heading to Damascus. He's going to arrest them. Now, here's the thing that strikes me about the text at that moment. You know, what's going on here? 
Saul thinks he's actually serving God. Have you ever considered that? He thinks he's serving God. He's doing this all in the name of the living God. He, he thinks that Christianity is a big lie. It has to be eradicated. He considers the resurrection of Jesus to be fake news. So he's serving, he thinks he's serving God when he's really fighting him. But then as the text remembers, just outside of Damascus, there's this unexpected intervention. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And what blows my mind about that particular moment in the text is, it's obvious in that moment, Saul does not get the God he wants. Saul does not get the God he expects. And being the murderer and terrorist that he now is, Saul certainly does not get the God he deserves. But he does get the God Saul needs. Now what if that's grace? Getting the God one needs. And yet as I continue to read that text, what's even more incredible, Saul, God, Saul made me get the God Saul needs, but God, God gets the Saul God wants. I mean, God just flat out goes out and gets him, captures him. What if, what if grace is God going out and getting the you that God has always wanted? Saul's story at this point reminds me of a, an older woman. She has one son, uh, one adult son, he, highly disappointed. She's, he's often disappointed her, but more than that, he's abused her, mostly, mostly verbally, but, but oftentimes physically. Last time he was at home, uh, he, he stormed out in a rage, basically left, left home, never checked on her. He was ultimately, ultimately arrested for burglary and sent to, sent to prison. So what does she do? Well... She goes and tries to visit him every Saturday. Now, what's interesting about that is he didn't want to see her. I mean, she'd go, he'd refuse to see her. Go, refuse to see her. Go, refuse to see her. Finally, he agreed to see her. And yet, when he did, the guards had to restrain him because of his attitude and his, and his uh, basically his hostility towards her. But she kept coming back and kept coming back kept coming back and he relented and now they can sit together in quiet and speak peaceably she's the only person who ever visits him when asked why I love what she said she said I'm determined not to give him the last word she said I will not let him define this situation and then she said I've got a claim on his life, and I intend to collect. Well, you know, I hear that, and at least in my mind, I can imagine those words in God's voice as he watches Saul. I can see Saul heading to Damascus, and God saying, I'm not going to let him have the last word. I'm not going to let Saul define the situation. I've got a claim on Saul's life, says God, and I intend to collect. 
which is grace. That's the meaning of grace. That's the amazing of grace. Grace is Jesus invading our lives when we need him the most and deserve him the least. And that's the point of the sermon. You can quit listening now. But let me repeat it. Just like a mother's claim on that son, grace is God invading our lives through Jesus and doing so when we need him the most and when we deserve him the least. Grace is the nonstop pursuit of a living God. And whether your name is Saul or Charles or Emily or Beth or Bob, God says, I've got a claim on your life. I intend to collect. Because you see, Saul reminds us, you and I are desired people. We are pursued people. We talk a lot about God's love, and that's good. But, uh, but folks, God's love is more than sweetness, more than, uh, more than acceptance, even far more than, than forgiveness and acceptance. It's, it's, it's a pursuit. It's far more than an emotion. It's a pursuit. It is a seeking after, hunting, searching love. God's love is not so much a feeling as it is a finding. Can you think of God's love as grace as beyond a feeling and more of a finding? Uh, a woman at Tim's church told her, told Tim, about her frustration in, in, in her prayer life. She, she kept saying, God, find me. I mean, God, God, let me find you. God, let me find you. And nothing was happening. And then her friend said, that's because you're praying the wrong prayer. She said, your prayer should be, God, find me. After all, Lord, you're the great shepherd. You're the good shepherd who goes after lost sheep. And she told him, she said, the reason I can tell you that story is he did. He did. Well, folks, that's grace. Grace is far more activistic than simple, simple acceptance. It is a pursuit. It is God's desire turned into pursuing, hunting, claiming, capturing, calling us to his own. It's less of a feeling and more of a finding because we're desired people. We are downright pursued people. God always takes the first step. God chooses to step into our lives when we need him the most and deserve him the least. As you've heard for decades at this church, the gospel is not about being good. The gospel is about grace. And we're rescued when our hearts are captured by God. And the incredible things I look about, look out across this room today is every single one of you is a monument to God's intervention and rescue. Every single one of you, a monument to God's intervention and God's rescue, which is an amazing gift when you consider what's at stake. And here I have to tell you, this may be out of my age or stage in life, here I'm thinking a lot. Here I'm thinking this one was especially about moms and, and, and dads and grandparents whose daily prayer is for Saul. Who among your children or grandchildren 
is Saul. You know, Emily, when I was serving churches, in other words, doing real ministry, when I was doing real ministry before being a district superintendent, uh, I prayed through the names, in alphabetical order, the names of church members. There are 26 letters in the alphabet. There are 52 weeks of the year. You can either pray for everybody for one week twice during the year, or you can pray just extra heavy for two weeks for a person. But I would pray through the alphabet of the congregation every year. And I would pray for their prayer requests. I'd write them and say, I'm going to be praying for you for the next week, praying two weeks. What can I pray for? Do you want to know what was by far? No matter what the church, no matter what the size of the church, do you know what by far was the most requested prayer? It was for Saul. It was for that child that had rebelled and drifted away and just didn't care about about any relationship of discipleship is about that grandchild that never never been, been brought to church or, or had even told the, the Bible stories. And even though there were countless letters with these, they all basically almost followed the same script. And the script was that they were almost written in the same, they'd say, we don't understand. Said, we, we don't understand. We took them to church. We had prayer in the home. We read the Bible. They went to youth group. What? What? And there's nothing there now. And, they, and they'd say, what do we do? Charles, what do we do? Well, what, what, what do we do with Saul? I want to suggest that just because your sweet, dear loved one is not searching for God does not mean that God's not searching for them. Grace as pursuit. Grace as pursuit. I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, after God captured him, after, after he was converted, Lewis said, you know, I feel so sorry for atheists because God is so relentless at getting what he wants. <laughs> Folks, we talk about a tender God, a merciful God, an accepting God. God's a relentless God. Grace is a relentless grace. And just because, and if your loved one, if your loved one's uh, Saul right now, maybe our prayer for, maybe your prayer, my prayer for that loved one should not so much be that they will ultimately find God, but God will inevitably find them. Because you and I, <laughs> You and I are, are monuments to God's intervention and rescue. It is God's grace to seek, hunt, pursue, catch, and claim us. And grace is when God flat out goes out and gets the you God's always, always wanted. I imagine in this congregation, many of you are already familiar with the author, Christian author, uh, Anne Lamott. Uh, if you haven't, the book, Autobiography, uh, Traveling Mercies. Get a chance to read Traveling Mercies. Anne was a wild child growing up. Her, her family, you know, the, you may have seen that sticker. Uh, our family puts the fun in dysfunctional. She, uh, her family was massively dysfunctional. 
She had no, no guidance, no coverage. Her mother moved from New Age sect to cult to this, that, and the other, uh, dabbled some in Christian scientists. Her father, who ironically was the child of Presbyterian missionaries, was massively, aggressively anti-Christian. And without the guidance, without those boundaries and borders of family and, uh, and healthy structures, uh, Anne was left basically to, to begin to, to deal with the journey that leads through alcohol or drugs or casual affairs. In fact, one of those affairs left her pregnant, took her to have her abortion, and the whole sobering event was so painful to her that she basically drank, drank herself into to, to, to numb, numb herself for the week after, after the procedure. And in fact, it was just about a week after that procedure one night when Anne began to bleed, bleed profusely. And it went on for several hours, which would be absolutely terrifying. When the bleeding did subside, she was so weak and shaking that she couldn't drink anymore or take a sleeping pill. So she smoked a cigarette and then tried to go to sleep. Except she got scared because she sensed somebody else was in the house, that someone else was in the room, that someone else was in the corner. In fact, it was so real that she turned on the light, turned around, didn't see anybody. She tried to go back to sleep, but she writes, after a while in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. She looked up and sure again, there was Jesus in a dark corner of the room she describes it, sitting on his haunches like a cat, staring at her, which absolutely terrified her, just appalled her. What would her friends say if she told them she'd seen Jesus? And she said out loud, I'd rather die. She turned over and tried to go to sleep. But every time she turned around, there was Jesus, just like a cat will, on his haunches, staring at her with love acceptance with a desire to the desire to reach her finally out of sheer exhaustion weakness she did fall asleep and when she woke up the next morning the presence was gone or so she thought the problem she writes is that during the next week as she went around she kept feeling she was being pursued she said, as if being followed by a little cat you know how a little cat will do Little cat that'll follow you, follow you, follow you, trying to want to be picked up and held. But you know, you know how little cats are, how they work their way into your life. Uh, my family is one of those examples. I sent a meme to my wife yesterday, and it says, "I only wanted one cat, but since God called me to have three, then seven it will be." There's feeling like she's being pursued like that cat that you know, wanted to be picked up and held. And, but she knew that just like cats are, if she opened her life and let it in, it's, it's hers. We'd never leave. And that's not what she wanted in her life. The next Sunday, she was in a neighborhood church. She would go there ever so often because she loved the singing. She had loved grace. She had loved the church of grace. She loved the singing. 
but she was hung over from the night before. She didn't feel like she belonged, that deserved to be there, and she started crying. And so she got up and she ran all the way home with that little cat right behind her. She writes that she got to the door, she grabbed the door handle, she swore a curse under her breath, then she took a big breath, sighed, opened the door and said, okay, you can come in. And Anne says that that was the hinge on which the rest of her life began to swing a different direction. And it's all because Anne was brought to God who flat out went out and caught her. Which is something Saul would understand. And, and this morning you need to know that even if your experience, even if your own personal experience is not Saul's or not Anne's, the grace that is within your experience can still be just as profound because you and you and you and you, you and I are all monuments to God's intervention and rescue. Grace, grace is when God go, flat out goes out and gets the you that God has always, always wanted. And this morning, if you were to ask me how, how you might find peace of mind, how you might find peace of mind, I would suggest let God find you because you're not the only one who's searching. Friends, I praise God and thank you for being the church inside this church this morning. I'm grateful for your time here people of God. As people of God, you leave here forgiven, accepted, loved, empowered. You also leave here pursued. Remember, as you go from this place today, God has a claim on your life and God intends to collect. And that's the good news. In that news, go in God's grace and peace. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.